0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Pastor Tyler. Oh, I love being here. You guys are a miracle, Mission Church. I love that, um, and I'll tell you why you're a miracle. You know, my church plant story is is very similar to uh, to Mission Church. Um, We grew 900% in our first year. Uh, Started off with three adults and two dogs. And after a year, we had 27 adults in the living room and the two dogs. And um, so we have a very similar church plant story, bro. So appreciative of you, man. Love your heart. Love all that God's blessing you with and not jealous at all. But yeah, really, you know, you guys are a miracle, and every church is a miracle, but uh, I've been so proud. I mean, it's kind of weird. We're we're colleagues, but I'm super proud of who you are, man, and uh, you and Rachel and how you pastor and how you just stepped out in faith, you know, and God has met you at every turn. And so, proud to be your friend, proud to know you, and uh, pumped to speak today. Thank you for the privilege and the honor of being here. Um, I do need to tell you something about Pastor Tyler. I'm going to show a picture that he's probably not going to enjoy, but... Um, Pastor Tyler, there was a, he will do anything to bring people closer to Jesus. So can we pull up that picture? I think it was the last one I sent. He will bring, do anything to bring people closer to Jesus. That is, that's Pastor Tyler's superhero, uh, vacation Bible school, maybe 12 years ago. That's me over there. Um, I was some kind of superhero with, I don't know, a pool noodle going on over my head. And (laughs) Pastor Tyler was a great superhero as well. And we just brought kids to Jesus that week. So thank you, man. Thank you for your heart. I love you. Is that okay? Is it okay for the second service? All right. I, you're going to invite me back? Okay. All right. So there's your pastor. He's a great guy. And uh, many of you know, the first time I spoke here, we were over at um, Heather Farm, and uh, I talked to you about my minivan. And the first thing that happened, I, I have to tell you, we've got a great minivan, and um, I walked through the doors this morning, and somebody said, hey, how's, did you bring the minivan? And I was like, wow, it's... Yeah, I guess it's pretty famous around here, the minivan. So, I just want to show you a couple pictures. My family couldn't be here today. So, this is what we did with our minivan uh this year. We uh we traveled through six states with four children um because we hate ourselves. And so uh 15, 15 days, six states, uh 4800 miles or something like that. We went all the way to Michigan from Sacramento. Um and we we we'll show we we got to see Mount Rushmore. Is that coming up? Yeah, there's There's a, oh, that's the Badlands of South Dakota. That's my wife and our four kids. And then we also got to see Mount Rushmore. Where's that one at? There's Mount Rushmore right there. Yeah. So we had a great time. That's my family. They couldn't be here today. They're practicing for a kid's Christmas play. And you can't miss those things because then you, you know, you sing wrong and stuff. So uh, that's just a little bit of what we've been doing with the minivan. Uh, It's really a nice, it's nice van. Um, It has a pop-up table in the middle and the seats, swivel. And so we only have 30 minutes. So that's enough about the minivan. Um, (laughs) we've been in a series at our church uh, called Draw near, Draw near, Drawing Near to God. And um, I felt like as I was praying about what to speak and what to share with us this morning, I really felt like the Lord highlighted one of those messages. And so I reworked it a little bit and uh, put it together for, for us this morning. Um, James 4.8 is this famous passage. Many of you will recognize it when I read it. Draw near to God and he Will draw near to you, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. God wants for you and I to have an intimate relationship with Him. That's, that's His desire. Uh, I think we have a choice, really. We can we can choose formal relationship with God, or we can choose intimate relationship with God. And uh, on the formal side of relationship, you know, it's it's a lot of rules. It's a lot of checklists. It's a lot of make sure I go to church, uh, do the Christian thing, check the right boxes, go at least on one missions trip a year, uh, you know, and do uh, at least two small groups a a semester, you know, different things like that. We can check the list, but God God wants a connection with us, a relational connection, an intimate connection, and that moves past rules, right? That moves past just pure obedience, and it goes to a place of desire, a place of delight, a place of passion. God wants that from us. And he wants that for us because that's what makes Christianity amazing, right? When you have a personal relationship with Jesus, when he walks with you, when he talks with you, when he calls you by name, right? And you can have connection with him. And he wants that for every one of us. But so many of us settle for formal. And a lot of times we're taught formal growing up. Uh, Many of our church traditions uh, teach us how to do formal Christianity, which is, hey, man, do, do what you're supposed to do. My parents were pastors in Auburn, California. Who's been to Auburn? Come on, it's a beautiful town. I grew up there 18 years of my life and then spent 10 years in Los Angeles and it changed everything. And it was a good change. It was a good change. But uh, I, I loved Auburn. I loved growing up as a pastor's kid and uh, doing all the church stuff. But there came a time right around 18, 19 years old where I had to decide that God was going to mean something to me besides just going to church, right? Besides just the rules, besides just the formal side of religion. And he was, I was going to have to go to a place of relationship with him. And I believe that um, God would want us to take one step closer to that intimate connection with him this morning. If we could just take one step every time that we gather, one step towards uh, more of what God has for us, one step more towards hearing His voice and hearing from him and having a connection with him that goes beyond a checklist but goes right to the heart of who He is and what He has for us that that verse draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I think sometimes we have the picture of God where he 's kind of you know maybe on his throne, just kind of sitting back and letting us kind of live our lives, and uh, he's kind of passive, right? He's just kind of a passive God who's up there in heaven, just kind of, hey, as long as you don't screw up, like, we're tight, we're good, we'll see you, you know, at the end of your life, you know, when you get to come into eternity with him. But I don't think we serve a God like that. I think we serve a God who's actively participating in our lives, who wants us, who's leaning in and saying, oh, if they would draw near to me. If they would take one step towards me, I would come 10 steps towards them. But he puts the ball in our court every time, right? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Who has to take the first action? It's you and I. We, we take the first step. So the ball's in our hand, the ball's in our court. And God says, I have more for you than you could possibly imagine. But you're going to have to do something with that desire. You're going to have to take a step towards me. So what keeps us from intimacy with God? My first point is this. Religion kills intimacy. Every time. Every time. Religion kills intimacy. Let's look at Revelations 3, verse 15 through 17. It says this, and we're going to be in Revelations 3 most of the morning. And this is a letter to the church of the Laodiceans. And uh, as they're writing this letter, Jesus tells John on the island of Patmos, hey, I want you to speak to them. I want you to write this letter to them. And this is some of what, the content of what he says to write to the church of Laodicea. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. Now, you need to know this. This is a letter to believers. This is a letter to Christians. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Everybody say, wow, what an amazing, inspiring, encouraging Passage of Scripture to bring to Mission Church this morning. Aren't you just encouraged, wretched, naked, poor, miserable? Right? That's so encouraging. Here's the encouragement: We don't have to stay here, right? We don't have to stay in the place of religion. We can go to a place of intimate connection with God, intimate relationship with Him. I ha- I have everything I want. Listen to what they say: I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Has anybody ever studied psychology? Uh, there's uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Has, has that come up in anybody's studies? Right. Well, we have a hierarchy of spiritual needs. Right. And uh, depending on how we approach God, uh, we can live our whole lives fulfilling needs that aren't the most important needs. As Christians, the need to uh, do what's right, or the need to obey, or the need to be at church every Sunday on the front row, worship, you know, like crazy. Uh, Make sure we're just there, present, doing everything that we're supposed to do. Checklists, devotions. Anybody ever do the one-year Bible reading plan? Anybody ever screw up on day seven, right? (laughs) Try and go back and make it up, and it's impossible, right? That's checklist Christianity. That's checklist religion. Listen, God wants a deep connection with us, and if we don't settle that need first, everything that follows just doesn't go right. The hierarchy of needs is that we are desperately in need of a deep connection with God. In fact, your deepest need as a human being is a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. Has anybody noticed I've been saying the same thing over and over again, right? Because it's that important. It's our foundational need. Like, what do you need to survive? Like food, shelter, water, right? My kids have gone without one or two of those for a few days, and it gets really rowdy, especially we we were trying to do this on our road trip, 700 miles a day with four kids under 11, right? That's not cool. That's, I mean, there are states where you could go to jail for that kind of behavior. But it was, um, it was an amazing trip. They had food, uh, they had water, and the van was our, our shelter, and we had a good time together and built lifelong memories. But listen to what he says, hot or cold, listen, both are useful. That's the thing that um, I think we, we interpret this scripture a little bit backwards. We, we'd like to think that hot is bad, totally away from God, and cold is, you know, or hot is super close to God, and cold is completely rejecting God. And he said, I, I'd, rather you not, I'd rather you be one or the other. Well, I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'd rather you not even serve me. Um, the Laodicean, that village, that town, was built by the Romans, they had an aqueduct, right, that would come, and it would come from hot springs. And by the time it got into the city, it was lukewarm and it had a bitter taste to it, right? And so the author, John, through Jesus, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, listen, I want you to be useful. I want you to have purpose. And lukewarm water, it has no purpose. But hot water, you can make hot stuff, and cold water, you can refresh yourself. Lukewarm water, man, that's, that has no purpose. So I'd rather you be one or the other. Listen to what they say, this is the epitome of lukewarm living, and I've been convicted of this many times throughout my life. I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. That's what they're saying to themselves. I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. See, if we are not careful, we could spend our whole lives at that place. I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. My first uh, week down in Los Angeles, they gave me, I was 18, 18 years old, just graduated high school, and I was given a small group of eight guys in the middle of the San Fernando Valley, uh, inner city, you know, pretty much lo- inner city Los Angeles. And uh, I just, I'm gonna be real with you. Like, I was from the sticks, okay? Like Auburn, Auburn is getting, it's not the Auburn that I grew up in, right? It's getting a little bit more culture. Uh, but we, had, we didn't even have a Starbucks when I was growing up in Auburn. Now there's like four of them. And um, I was given this table of uh, all these different guys that I was to disciple. I was 18, they were like, Freshman. And my job was to disciple them. At the end of each one of our encounters, and then each one of our sessions, I said, What do you what do you need prayer for? Now, a freshman dude asked him what he needs prayer for. For four years, no joke, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, for four years. Here was their answer: stuff and basketball. <laughs> stuff and basketball. That's it, that's the that's the epitome of what they felt God could do in their lives. Listen, God wants us to bring our needs before him, right? God wants us to speak to him. If we're in the place where we say, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, man, we're missing how much more God has for us. We're not, being, we're not ready to say, oh, he's got more for me than I've ever experienced. And I wanna, if you're, you guys ever do prayer circles in your small groups where you're sharing your requests with one another and you're praying for one another, um, I'd encourage you, you need to have a need. Right. In fact, if you don't have a need, ask yourself, God, why don't I have a need right now? What am I missing of the future that you have for me, the purpose that you have for me, the destiny that you have for me that I can stand in this circle and not have a need to bring you? So what's the cure? we got to ask God what our real needs are. What are our real needs, Lord? Because even when I have everything, my needs are met. I've got a great house. I've got a great car. I've got great kids. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty good right now. The church is a little bit bigger than 27. Uh, you know, thank you, Jesus. After after seven years, we got there. We you know we're at least 47 on a Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we we're we've arrived. We've done. We're able to do some things. You know, things are going good. When we get past our physical needs, right? Food, shelter, and water. There is this whole list of needs that our spirit man craves, right? That we have these needs to know and be known by God, to be deep with him, to be intimate with him, to have a relationship with him. We gotta ask God, listen to what the author says, and uh, I love this, listen to what Jesus says to, to the people that are reading this, the Laodiceans. They say, we have everything that we need, but what does God say? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Are we numb to our real needs? Because God sees a different picture than the Laodiceans see. They're, they're, They're like, hey, we've got everything that we need. We lack nothing. And yet God on the other side, Jesus on the other side said, oh, but what I see, if you would ask me what I see, poor, wretched, blind, it's going to get better. I promise you. All right. It's going to, we're going to get to some encouragement in just a minute. Okay. You're going to leave encouraged. I promise you that. But sometimes we need to step back and say, instead of looking at what I need, what does God say that I need? Cause when I think I'm good, he might say, Oh, but I've got better. You see, you're good, but I've got so much more. You know, the reason I, I sit on the front row, it's not just because I'm the pastor or the guest speaker. I sit on the front row because I know that in worship, God wants to encounter me. And I know that if I sit in the back, I'll just be looking at everybody that I haven't seen in a long time, like, oh my gosh, I forgot to connect with them. I told them I would text them. I promised that guy three weeks in a row we'd have breakfast this week. That was three weeks ago. What am I doing? You know, that's, that's why I sit in the front row. I sit in the front row because I have needs that I don't know I need. I have things inside of me that God wants to do in me that I'm missing out on because I'm not connected with him. So when I cry out to God, when I'm worshiping him, I'm saying, God, would you show me the things that I can't see? Because I came in thinking I was good, but I know that you see a different picture. And you love me, and you care for me, and you're not, you're not mad at me, you're not upset at me. You accept me right where I'm at, but you love me so much that you want to show me how much more you want to do in my life. And I want that, God. I want that kind of relationship with you where you're speaking to me and you're showing things to me. Uh, Insider Magazine recently did an article on a a new term that's happening in uh, Korea, China, and uh, Japan. They've all come up with this term. It's a medical term, kind of like when we encounter things in the medical field that we can't explain, and we, after years of prognosis, we finally come up with a term to, to say it, right, to actually diagnose something. They've come up with a term in, Jap- in Japanese, they call it karoshi, karoshi, and it's, uh, it's the sudden death syndrome from overwork, Right, um, And there's articles of people uh, literally dying at their desks in the workplace at a 116-hour work week, you know, um, which is just seven days a week, 16 hours a day. I mean, it's just insane, right? And uh, they, they pass out, and they die from overwork exhaustion. So they coined this term, Kiroshi, I'm going to read it to you, is occupational sudden mortality. Occupational sudden mortality. That's pretty intense that, that three countries have had to come up with a medical term to diagnose people dying in the workplace. Just, just dying in the workplace. What is that? They're fulfilling what they believe is their greatest need. And their greatest need is career. Their greatest need is income. Their greatest need is a place in society. Their greatest need is to be a contributor to society. They're fulfilling their greatest need as a culture. Listen, the only one who gets to dictate our greatest needs are the creator is the creator himself. He gets to dictate to us our greatest need. And so when we come into worship, when we come to the house of God, that's what we're saying, God, what do I need today? Lord, what do I need that I can't see? God, how do I need you to work in me? Because I I, I know my real needs, career and family, and I know the pressures of life, God, but I know that you have things for me that I can't always see on my own. Culture does not get to dictate our truest and highest needs. Our greatest need is intimate connection, with Jesus, Our greatest need is intimate connection with Jesus. Look at John sixteen two through three. This is the epitome of what religion can end up doing to us. And it's Jesus, and he's warning his disciples. He says this, For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. This is Jesus talking. He's saying there's going to be a time where there's gonna be people that are, are killing you and they're gonna think that they're doing a holy service to God. And, and really that's fulfilled in the book of Acts. We see Paul going around imprisoning Christians and thinking that he's serving the Lord until he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus and has an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. That's fulfilled in that verse, but it's fulfilled in our hearing and our day as well. Whenever we choose to go to a formal relationship with God and don't press into intimacy, we end up doing things that we think God wants, but he doesn't want them. It's the opposite. I mean, I just have, the, I have this in mind that the opposite that God wanted for his people was for them to be imprisoned and put to death in the New Testament. That's the opposite of his plan for the church. That was not his highest fulfillment. Oh, I'm just so glad they're in prison right now. That is, that is exactly what I wanted. Now, will he use it? Amen. That's because he's good, not because we are. That's because he's good. That's because he's great, and he'll take every negative thing, and he'll turn it around for his glory and for his kingdom, right? But that was not his greatest grand design. That was the reaction of religiosity to the presence of God. See, religion wants to kill intimacy. Religion wants to kill God's plan, and we got to run from it like the plague, We gotta run from religion. Anytime we're approaching God from a rules-based place or a checklist place, man, he wants to know us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to draw near to us. The second thing that causes um, us to lose intimacy with Christ or to never be able to develop it in the first place is spiritual passivity. Spiritual passivity kills intimacy. It's an intimacy killer, Look at Revelations three nineteen. Just going right down Revelations three to the letter of the church of Laodicea. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Become zealous. That's that idea there. It's a Greek word. It means to burn. Listen, I want to read it to you. To burn with hot zeal. Desire earnestly, pursue, passionate pursuit, hot, fired up passion for God. You know what I love? I love sitting on the front row, and I I sing pretty loud. In fact, when we were doing church in our living room, the worship team would always say, hey, listen, pastor, tone it down a little bit, all right? Like you're filling the house, and we're trying to lead the people of God here. Uh, Not to mention that the, the labs that I mentioned earlier, the two dogs that we had, there was one Sunday, can I just tell a quick story real quick? There was one Sunday where, I'm I'm up here and I'm I'm leading in prayer and everybody's like laughing at me. You know, they're like looking this way and they're laughing. And I'm like, what what is going on? God, what am I missing, Lord? What am I missing? I'm not doing it right. I'm I'm not a good pastor. Everybody's laughing right now. And our dogs are through the window. You could see our dogs during the middle of the worship service just kind of, you know, doing dog stuff behind, our, behind me as I'm trying to lead the people into the presence of God. Like, it was, it was a mess, okay? It was an absolute mess, but we're, we're past those days. Sorry, it's a little rough, so I, I, uh, I can't really preach without talking about it. <laughs> Be diligent and turn from your indifference. The passion of first love, right? Oh, man, I'd do anything for you. Anybody ever been in love for the first time? Mm. Anybody have to remember your first love? It's like, or maybe you've been married for a while, you just have to remember those moments when you first got connected, and when you first were together, and you have to go back there sometimes, you have to remember like, what it meant to pursue your woman right now that you've won now that you've conquered ah oh, I am man I found woman right now now a few years later you got to go back and you got to remember what it means to, to, to love again and to pursue again that's what Jesus wants from us he wants that hot fired up passionate zeal turn from your indifference anybody ever have a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend um, who you know just never had an opinion about where they wanted to eat right? My wife, like, never has an opinion, but how many of you know she has an opinion? Like, she never has an opinion, but she has an opinion. She has a strong opinion. But she's like, whatever you want, honey. Okay, well, here we go. We're going to Chinese. Like, that's what I want. I like Chinese food. Oh, whatever you want, honey. No, no, not that, not that, not that. It's like, ever been with somebody? It's like, can you just have an opinion, please? That's what really the writers, turn from your indifference is this. Have an opinion about your spirituality. That's what turn from your indifference means. Have an opinion about what God wants to do in your life. Have an opinion. Have a desire. Have some hot, fired up, zeal, passion for God. Have an opinion. Turn from your indifference. Don't be indifferent. Don't be passive. Don't be spiritually passive where it's like, oh, you know, whatever. If God wanted to do it, after all, he'd do it. Que sera, sera. Hakuna matata. I know it's in Psalms. Whatever will be, will be. It means no worries. That's gotta be a proverb for the rest of your days. It's a problem free philosophy. No, okay, sorry. That's too much. Too far? Too far. Too far. All right. Listen, turn from your indifference. Christianity invites a pursuit from us, God invites a pursuit. And some of us sit back for years thinking, oh, how come I'm not in a deeper connection with the Lord? How come I don't hear from God like Pastor Tyler seems to hear from God? How come I don't hear from God like, man, that my my spouse hears from God? Turn from your indifference, Scripture calls us to. I need you to be hot, fired up, passionate. And when you pursue God, draw near to me. What's the promise? I will draw near to you. When you turn from passivity and you say, I'm no longer gonna passively pursue church, pursue God. I'm no longer gonna passively attend church. I'm going to ask God to meet me at church. There's something that I have to do after a long day and let's say I've had some stressful meetings or something like that. Um, when I get into the driveway, usually before I get into the driveway, sometimes I get a cup of coffee on my way home because I got four kids at home, right? And that's my real job, right? When I, get, when I, when I pull into the driveway, that's when my, my real job begins at that moment. Everything else is just, rubbish, right? My real job happens the moment I, I step through the doors to my home. And there are times where I have to get a coffee on the way home, and I have to get a coffee, and I have to get alone with Jesus. I gotta say, Lord, I am not ready. Lord, I just want I want to I want to go, and I want to pop on some Netflix, and I want to chill. I want to Netflix and chill, God. And um, I know that means different things in different <laughs> communities, but it's, it's mostly what I want to do. So... Um, I want to go home. I want to walk through the door and I want to just I want to veg out. And I have to get alone with the Lord. I have to stop at AM PM. I have to drink a coffee real quick or something like her Starbucks. I mean, I you know, I have to do something and I have to call myself into alignment. I have to say, "Lord, help me." God, I, I want my re- Lord, give me give me passion for my kids, God. Lord, help me serve my wife tonight, God. Help me do the things that are really good to do, my real purpose, my real destiny. I have to talk myself up sometimes. Anybody ever have to do that? You're like, man, this guy's messed up, right? I'll I'll just trust that you know what I'm talking about even if you're not nodding your head, okay? Even if you're not nodding your head, I'm just gonna trust that you know what I'm saying, right? I have to talk myself into a feeling. I have to talk myself into passion. I have to turn from my indifference because here's the thing, indifference is all of our defaults. We will all default to indifference with God. Well, you know, it's another Sunday. It's great. I guess if God wanted more for me, he would do more for me. No, no, no. He says, stand up, pursue me. And when you pursue me, you will find a life with God that you never thought possible, right? When we open the door to intimacy every day, that's the third thing we have to do. So how do passivity kills intimacy, religion kills intimacy, and what is the answer, is the answer for that? To open the door to intimacy every day. Look at Revelation 3, verse 20, just going right along down that letter to the Laodiceans. I wanna say this, Jesus is personal and persistent. Look at what he says. Look, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we should, shall share a meal together as friends. What is Jesus looking for from you? He wants to share a meal with you as friends. That sounds like intimacy. That doesn't sound like formal. That doesn't sound like go somewhere where God's at and leave and not take him with me. That sounds like go somewhere, get fired up, get hot passion zeal in my chest, on my insides, and then go back home and say, God, let's share a meal together. He wants to share a meal together. Look, I stand at the door and knock. I love this. I never saw this before. He's knocking and he's calling. He's whispering at the door of our heart. Jesus knocking. There's a lot of things that Jesus could force us to do. You know, he could force us to respect him. He could force us to fear him. He could force us to obey him, but he can't make us love him. He can't make us love him. If we're gonna love him, we're gonna have to open the door. I love what Song of Solomon says, and it's a cross reference for this knocking thing that we see here. Look at this Song of Solomon 5, verse 2 through 3. And if you know what Song of Solomon is, anybody know what that book is? All right, it's like a love letter. It's got, there's some heels of Beethor. Ask your mom what those are. There's hills of beether there's two fawns, twins of a gazelle. It's some poetic, romantic language, all right? It's like, I will, you know, I will dine with you and cuddle with you all night long. You know, I'll say, come back in the morning. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty romantic, pretty hot and heavy. Don't read Song of Solomon alone, all right. Um, <laughs> but Song of Solomon, listen, this is this kind of intimacy that Jesus wants for us. Look at this. I slept, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. Everybody get the picture? There's a woman, she's in bed. We're the bride of Christ, there's this imagery, there's about who we are, what Jesus wants for us. Open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my, perc- my perfect one. So if Jesus is standing at the door knocking, and we're supposed to be the ones that are listening, so he's knocking and he's speaking. He's knocking and he's saying some words to us. What could he possibly say, be saying? Listen to what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us. Open to me, my treasure, My darling, my dove, my perfect one. And then he goes on this my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. You know what he's saying? It's raining out here. It's raining out here. Would you let me in? (laughs) Open to me. When Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, what do you think he's whispering? I love you. I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want intimacy with you. I want more than something formal, I want something personal. I want to have dinner with you. I want to come in. I want to dine with you. And listen, this is the tragedy of the response to the woman inside the door. This is the tragic response. But I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? It's like, I'm in bed. I've taken off my robe. You really want me to come and answer the door? You want me to get dressed again? How inconvenient of you to ask me to get up from my bed. Anybody ever get in their bed? You know, you're, you're nice and snuggling, and something happens. Last night, 2.30 in the morning, our dog barked, like at something, and I did not get out of bed, even though we have four children who desperately need me to protect them. I figure the doors are locked. The doors are locked, the dog will get the bad guy. Like, I just not get out of bed. Because once you're in bed, it's like you don't wanna get up, this is what's happening. Should I get up? I've taken off my road, should I get dressed again? And it goes even further. I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? I don't want to take my washed, clean feet. Anybody ever get in the bed without clean feet? Like, first of all, if you're not married, um, that could be part of the problem. Like, you, you know, you need a shower before you get in the bed, right? You need a shower before you get in the bed. Um, but this is what she's saying. She's saying, I've already cleaned my feet. I'm ready for bed. You want me to get out of this bed and walk over this dirty, dusty floor to open the door for you? What an inconvenience. Well, what is the... What's the dude on the other side of the door want to do? He's like, I'm here, my love." Listen to the words. My dove, my sweet, my treasured one. I mean, these, how many ladies you hear a guy talking to you like that? You're going to get out of the bed and open the door. My dove, my sweet. He never said that to me before. Oh, my dove, my sweet, my lover, my treasured one. Like, I wish you'd speak to me like that. Go ahead, nudge him, nudge him, nudge him. You're like, I'm, I'm glad he doesn't speak to me like that. Well, okay. Listen, I've washed my feet, should I get them soiled again? Listen, there will always be an inconvenience associated in our opening the door to Jesus. When it comes to intimacy, it will always be inconvenient. Something's something's gonna give, something's gonna get wasted. We're gonna have to get up out of bed. We're gonna have to soil our feet, figuratively speaking. Like there's gonna be a moment where it's gonna cost us something, And it takes courage to open the door. Look at verse 21. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat sat with my father on his throne. I asked myself this question. Why would opening the door to Jesus make you a victor? Why does that make you a victor? It seems so obvious. If you've got a creative, amazing, loving God on the other side of the door who's knocking on the door, why does opening the door, because it's the hardest thing to do to reject religion and embrace relationship. It's the hardest thing in the world to do because it's so much easier to just do religion. Oh, checkbox Christianity is so much easier. Just go to church on Sunday and let somebody else hear from God for me. That's so much easier. Let somebody else read the Bible to me. That's so much easier. God says, no, I have more for you. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons.